When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the story of an American military legend, the recipient of America's highest decorations for valor, the Medal of Honor, the Distinguished Service Cross, seven silver stars, and more than a dozen awards from allied nations. From the time he graduated first in his class from West Point until he retired with 50-plus years of service, he was a complex combination of valor and vanity, a figure of legendary victory and terrible loss. To this day, he's one of the most controversial military leaders in U.S. history. I'm Oliver North, and in this War Stories podcast, you'll learn more about General Douglas MacArthur than you ever knew from people who knew him best, those with whom he served, those who loved him, and the president who fired him. Stay with us for the remarkable life story of a man who honed his battle skills in the trenches of World War I and who still inspires future generations of soldiers and military planners. You'll hear how this legendary leader enjoyed great victories and persevered through devastating defeats on battlefields and in bedrooms. In an exclusive War Stories interview, listen to my conversation with General Alexander Haig, who served with MacArthur during the Korean War, as he recalls MacArthur's daring masterstroke. And after you hear from the man who delivered the message to General MacArthur that he'd been fired by the President of the United States, let me know, did President Harry Truman do the right thing when he fired this controversial American hero? You're looking at the U.S. Military Academy at West Point. This is the oldest continuously operated military post in America. Good evening, I'm Oliver North and welcome to War Stories. For over 200 years, some of the greatest leaders to ever command on the battlefield walked these grounds as cadets. Generals Grant and Lee, Eisenhower, Patton, and this man, General Douglas MacArthur. Few soldiers in history have been more passionately admired or more controversial. He was a military prodigy and a highly decorated veteran of three major American wars. He inspired great devotion from his men, but had troubled relations with several presidents. And like a figure from a Greek tragedy, he fell from power. Come with us on this special War Stories journey into the life of this altogether too human five-star hero. crowds lined up sometimes three to four blocks long to just get a glimpse of that man. I do recall some comments saying, who does this guy think he is? I would just always say that I thought the gentleman was a little bit shy underneath. General MacArthur has a superiority complex, and I think it's because he is superior. He said his first recollection was hearing a bugle uh, blow. James Obel is the archivist for the acclaimed MacArthur Memorial Library and Archive in Norfolk, Virginia. 96,000 photographs we have. 
contains all the radio messages from the occupation of Japan period, as well as all the World War II records. It's here that the general public, as well as historians who've written some 80 books on this one man, can experience the life and times of a legendary figure. Some of it personal, like love letters. Sweet lady of mystery, I am back again at my groaning desk. Some of it historic, like the most photographed hat in the world. January 26, 1880, Douglas MacArthur made his debut at the Army Barracks in Little Rock, Arkansas. He's the youngest of three boys. His father, Civil War hero Arthur MacArthur II. His mother, Mary, known as Pinky. And his grandfather, a prominent judge. Douglas would have a lot to live up to. His father's an 18-year-old boy colonel in the Civil War. In September of 1863, at the Battle of Chickamauga, the Confederates had driven through the Union lines. For two agonizing months, Union troops were cut off and under siege from 46,000 Confederates under General Braxton Bragg. Braxton Bragg's army took up positions on Missionary Ridge, which overlooked the city of Chattanooga. On November 24th, as Union General Ulysses S. Grant watched, Arthur MacArthur seized the initiative drove his troops up the slopes. Uh, the flag was shot out during that time. Uh, Arthur eventually picked up the colors and planted them on the crest of Missionary Ridge. Grant was supposed to say, you know, who gave the order to do that? And nobody could spoke up, and Grant said, well, if it turns out all right, it'll be all right. Years later, Douglas's father would be awarded the Medal of Honor for the action at Missionary Ridge. So the mother would always be in his ear. You have to be like your father. You have to be like General Lee and General Grant. Throughout his career, it was a constant striving to surpass what his father had done. By 1882, thirds of the Army's 80,000 men were stationed west of the Mississippi, most in remote outposts. While Buffalo Bill's Wild West show featuring Annie Oakley enthralled Easterners, the MacArthur family was living the real thing stationed at Fort Selden, New Mexico. They always said it was the happiest time of his life. Uh, veterans would constantly come visit the father, uh, be going over the Civil War days. These were things that rang true in MacArthur's ears. But Pinky longed for a better life for herself and her family, one far from dusty army outposts. In 1883, all three boys came down with the measles, and five-year-old Malcolm died. Pinky's devotion to Douglas and his older brother Arthur III intensified. The connotation of a mama's boy is so much different now than back then. It's just a complete undying devotion to each other, definitely, which MacArthur held and she held all the way till the end of their death. When his father was assigned to Fort Sam Houston in San Antonio, Douglas attended the West Texas Military Academy. It can never be second best. People said he was a little bit standoffish from everyone else, but people also said that at time he could be very friendly. In 1896, at 16 years of age, MacArthur applied to President Grover Cleveland for an appointment to West Point. Despite a barrage of recommendations, including four governors and a former Secretary of War, MacArthur was turned down. His father suspected that switching from the Democrat to the Republican Party during the Civil War had earned him no favor with a Democrat president. There was never any doubt in his mind he was going to go to West Point. I think his mother and father made sure that there wasn't any doubt in his mind, especially his mother. But the following year, MacArthur was turned down again, this time by a Republican president, William McKinley. Jeffrey Perea is a U.S. Army veteran and the author of the acclaimed biography, Old Soldiers Never Die. If you take somebody who is pretty bright and they put in the work and they do it in a focused and disciplined way, they're going to get to the top. 
February 1898, the USS Maine sinks in Havana Harbor under mysterious circumstances. While the politicians clamor for war, Douglas MacArthur scores a 93.3 on the West Point admissions exam. It's the highest score. Much of the academies, particularly West Point, at the time were Southerners. Was there resentment because his dad had been such a successful Army general? Yes. He was a target not only because his father was famous. The Southerners represented maybe 40% of cadets. There were maybe four or five who wanted to continue fighting the Civil War by picking on Douglas MacArthur. Like many of his era, Douglas MacArthur endured painful hazing as a cadet. When we come back, find out what happened to the future general when a cadet died and he's asked to name names. Perched on the banks of the Hudson River, West Point is as beautiful as it is austere. Here, 19-year-old Douglas MacArthur joined the class of 1903. Douglas MacArthur was very bright. He was also very focused. He was very disciplined. And Pinky was right by her son's side. She moved into this hotel overlooking the barracks. Very dominant figure in his life. Yes, but she did it not by being intimidating, but by making him, him absolutely worship her. The only reason Douglas MacArthur's mother was at the hotel was that her husband was in the Philippines, her eldest son was a naval officer and was at sea, and she didn't have a house. They would often see MacArthur and his mother walking around the grounds at that time. There's also stories of uh, cadets being with girls when they weren't allowed to be with girls, and they'd be in the hotel where Mrs. MacArthur would have them, and she'd be playing lookout. When a young man reports for Beast Barracks at West Point, it's a pretty rigorous time. What were they subjected to? They could be subjected to everything from being forced to fight somebody who was a lot bigger, stronger, and meaner than they were, to being forced to do what looked like physical exercise but was really a form of, of torture. Was MacArthur singled out because his dad was so well-known? Absolutely. For everybody who thinks you're an interesting person, there's somebody else who hates your guts and is jealous as hell. Douglas suffered convulsions after being ordered to perform 250 spread eagles over broken glass. He kept quiet about it until all hell broke loose when Cadet Oscar Booz died in 1900. Oscar's family said their son died when he was forced to drink a huge quantity of hot sauce. President McKinley ordered an investigation. There was tremendous congressional pressure the president wanted names, and young Douglas MacArthur was ordered to testify. If he named uh, the Hazes, he would then be considered a stool pigeon, so he would probably have to leave the academy because many of his classmates would never speak to him. He ultimately doesn't give up the names of all those he knows. No, he very cleverly found a way of appearing to cooperate while holding back on the main issue. So he spoke about other hazing incidents, but these were all people known, shall we say, to the authorities. MacArthur flourished during the rest of his time at the Long Gray Line and graduated first in his class. Now a dashing second lieutenant at 23, Douglas headed off to the Philippines with the Army engineers. His love affair with the Far East had begun. 
In the following years, he moved up fast in the Army ranks, including a stint as an aide-de-camp to President Teddy Roosevelt. He was often aided by string-pulling letters from Pinky. When his beloved father, Arthur, died in 1912, Douglas recalled, Never have I been able to heal the wound in my heart. Getting to World War I, you've got MacArthur in his element as far as wanting to emulate his father. MacArthur created the famed 42nd Rainbow Division by combining various National Guard units from 26 different states and the District of Columbia. When the division of 28,000 troops sailed to France that October of 1917, Colonel Douglas MacArthur was its chief of staff. World War I is like the Civil War. It's full movements of men rather than machines. MacArthur was, was a dashing man. MacArthur did not look like anybody else. He wore an enormous scarf that his mother had knitted. The thing was about 10 feet long and he'd wrap it around his neck. He wore tailored uniforms when everybody else was happy to take whatever the supply sergeant gave them. Not everyone was enamored of MacArthur's style, particularly General John J. Pershing, commander of the American Expeditionary Force in France. Pershing had an exasperating time with MacArthur in World War I and would often upbraid him, you know, about the division's look, about the way he dressed, you know, with the crushed cap and everything like that. Describe his experience in combat in, the, in, in World War I. MacArthur was, to my mind, one of the greatest combat soldiers the United States has ever produced. He was not simply brave, he was very smart. He was a problem solver. October 1918, on a hill known as Côte de Châtillon, American forces were slaughtered by German machine guns. The 1st Infantry Division was bled white trying to take a small but very well-defended hill, and that division had to be pulled out of the line. It was then up to MacArthur to figure out a plan. MacArthur saw how to solve the problem of taking his hill, but it involved a night reconnaissance in which he was the only survivor. But he saw the one weakness in the German defenses, and the hill was taken. It was an absolutely brilliant feat of combat leadership. As seen in this film, Pershing awarded the now Brigadier General the Distinguished Service Cross for his bravery. Well, MacArthur wasn't happy. He thought this is his only chance to get the Medal of Honor, something that his father had achieved in the Civil War. Pershing did not believe it was right for generals to be giving the big one, the Medal of Honor, to other generals. That winter, Douglas recovered in Germany from exposure to poison gas. He also fell in love with his nurse, Fraulein Hertha Heuser. And I think there was a Florence Nightingale-type love affair that happened between the two. MacArthur was deeply in love with this girl. When he came back to the United States, he was severely depressed about having to leave her in Germany. Back from the war, MacArthur's next assignment was to revitalize a behind-the-times West Point. Try to change everything but the color of the uniforms. MacArthur returned to West Point as superintendent and turned this place on its head, earning him new friends and enemies. And at 42, he took his first bride, a beautiful heiress, with a complicated romantic past. That's next on War Stories.
1919, the Great War officially ended and Brigadier General Douglas MacArthur became the youngest superintendent of West Point. He was 39 years old. Does he make any changes in the way things work? MacArthur saw that West Point was not just behind the times. It was at least a generation behind. Did they resent what he was trying to do to it? He did some things that the cadets and the faculty must have found bewildering. He had the cadets writing poetry. He said, look, you've got to read a newspaper every day. He brought civilian instructors into the faculty. MacArthur loved innovation. Now in her 60s, Pinky was living with Douglas in the superintendent's quarters. His mother was a possessive mother. There's no getting around that. So no woman was ever going to be quite good enough for Douglas. Louise was one of the richest women in America. She goes to a football game at West Point and meets Douglas MacArthur. Louise was the vivacious 31-year-old American heiress, Louise Cromwell Brooks, whose industrial stepfather was worth more than $150 million. And though she was a divorced mother of two, MacArthur was clearly smitten. The voluminous series of letters that goes between her and him read like Hallmark cards. What makes my mind reel at thoughts of you, my cheeks flush at the sight of you. They married in Palm Beach on Valentine's Day, 1922. Did mom interfere at all in the day-to-day relationship? Louise resented it strongly. And there was other interference from General Black Jack Pershing. During World War I, Louise had served as his hostess in Paris. They were both interested in the same woman. MacArthur marries Louise Cromwell Brooks, whom Pershing had intended to marry off to one of his favorite aides. And MacArthur came along and ruined that relationship. He would lose one year off his three-year tenure at superintendency at West Point. They were definitely exiled to the Philippines. And the whole army knew MacArthur's been fired. MacArthur was being taken down not just one peg, but half a dozen pegs. That September of 1922, the one-star general sailed with his new bride to command a post unworthy of his rank, yet dear to his heart, the military district of Manila. Less than a month after getting there, Douglas gets a wire. Mother is sick. She's near death. Come home. MacArthur immediately packs them all up again. Pinky recovered. And in 1923, Douglas's surviving brother Arthur, a Navy captain, died of a burst appendix. By the time the MacArthurs returned to the Philippines, their marriage was collapsing. She was always trying to get him to get out of the Army, always trying to get him to go into business. And when they come back to the United States, Louise has also, like the mother, had a lot of personal pull, would write people to get Douglas promoted to be Major General, used her father's connections as well. It got to the point where he saw the grabbing of wealth as just a very sickening thing. But MacArthur's biggest obstacle was gone. General John Pershing retired. The War Department announced MacArthur as its next Major General. Wearing four stars, he became Army Chief of Staff in 1930. But during those last heady days of the Jazz Age, the MacArthur marriage ended. Louise wants to go back to flapper mode. Uh, Party girl wants to be among society. MacArthur wants no part of it. He poured himself into work and developed a close relationship with Filipino President Manuel Quezon. He also built his own War Department family, which included a young major, Dwight Eisenhower. He also fell in love again. When he first started dating her, she was 16. Isabel Rosario Cooper was a young Filipino he had met in the Philippines during his period right before Chief of Staff. He's living with his mother at Fort Myer. 
who would just be aghast at the fact that not only does he have a mistress, but she's a Filipina. While MacArthur was happy personally, it was not a good time to be a professional soldier. In the midst of the Depression, President Hoover slashed military spending and salaries until the U.S. Army was only the 17th largest in the world. By 1932, unemployment stood at more than 20%. Especially hard hit, the veterans of World War I who'd been promised a $1,000 bonus and were demanding early payment. They and other homeless people camped out by the thousands in Washington. MacArthur's role becomes very controversial because they do drive the bonus marchers out of Washington. They did indeed. MacArthur, to some degree, was the victim of George Van Horn Mosley, the assistant chief of staff. Herbert Hoover knew that it would be a terrible mistake to have the army go across the Anacostia River and into the main camp. And he had an order sent to MacArthur telling him, do not cross the bridge, do not have your troops go into that camp. And George Van Horn Mosley made sure that that order did not reach MacArthur. What was Mosley's motive? Mosley felt that the bonus militias were rabble and should be driven out of Washington in the point of a bayonet. People believed it, uh, that the army burned down the camp. It didn't. It was the Washington police who burned down the camp. Is MacArthur subject to any official reprimand as a consequence? No. His very able aide, Dwight D. Eisenhower, produced an official report that completely exonerated the army. When the Japanese attacked the Philippines, MacArthur was forced to make a daring escape, vowing to return and destroy the enemy. That's next on War Stories. Astride a magnificent Bay Stallion, 55-year-old Douglas MacArthur led the inaugural parade welcoming Franklin Delano Roosevelt to Washington in March of 33. And rumors were rampant that the first thing FDR was going to do was fire MacArthur as Army Chief of Staff. After the bonus march disaster, First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt and the press viewed MacArthur with suspicion. And things didn't improve when he sued columnist Drew Pearson for libel to the tune of $1.75 million. And at that time, the word about Isabel became apparent to Pearson. They retrieved a bunch of letters that MacArthur had written to her. And so they came to him and said, either you drop the suit or we're going to countersue and put her on the stand. MacArthur paid his former teenage mistress $15,000 not to take the stand. The public was fascinated with this very colorful general what FDR really needed was his help putting America to work. MacArthur definitely thought of Roosevelt as an uh, intellectual equal. In less than two months, MacArthur mobilized 275,000 citizens from 47 states. They were put to work in the Civilian Conservation Corps. But inside the Army, morale was dwindling. MacArthur was furious when FDR and Congress cut a private salary to a mere $17.85 a month and only 60,000 soldiers stood combat ready. Throughout the 30s, Emperor Hirohito and his warlords were bent on building an empire in the Pacific. Douglas's old friend, Filipino President Manuel Quezon, knew his fledgling nation, an American commonwealth, was a target. And in 1935, the now four-star general needed a new job. His term as chief of staff was over. MacArthur was hired to oversee the creation of 
Philippine Defense Force. Is he still on active duty as an Army general? He goes on to the retired list, but he is being paid by the government of the Philippines, and Roosevelt knew what MacArthur was getting. Douglas and his mother, a frail 82-year-old pinky, sailed for the Philippines in the fall. On the long voyage, MacArthur met petite 35-year-old Jean Marie Faircloth from Murfreesboro, Tennessee. And I can never perfectly seeing the general sitting there. That's the first time I'd ever laid eyes on him. You're listening to the voice of Jean MacArthur when she was interviewed in 1984 by Lyman Hammond, a close friend and former director of the MacArthur Memorial Library and Archive. Jean, as a young girl, was very independent. She made several round-the-world trips. I found a lovely basket of flowers, and it was from General MacArthur to me. Pinky fell ill, and happiness had to wait. The general's mother died in a few weeks after we got there. The general went into mourning, and he just didn't accept any invitations at all. But with Jean's help, he slowly began to return to his old self. He depended on me that he was sort of set of everything for me anyhow. She was the one he could sound things out on. MacArthur spent his days working with his chief of staff, Dwight Eisenhower. And in the beautiful Manila Hotel, Jean grew especially close to Eisenhower's wife, Mamie. We were in the penthouse, and Ike and Mamie were a couple of floors below us. I'd go down to Mamie's apartment, and we would talk for hours. One day, MacArthur had an aide escort Jean to his office. I think I took me into the general's inner office, and that was when he asked me if I would marry. Their engagement was kept secret. And nearly everyone was surprised when they married in New York on April 30th, 1937. I've always been sorry about that picture. Eight months after marrying Jean, he fully retired from the U.S. Army. He was now strictly a military advisor to the Philippines. MacArthur became a father for the first time at age 58, when Arthur IV was born in February 1938. People would say, I didn't think you had it in you, and he would say... Back to him, I didn't think I had it in me either. July 1941, as the Japanese moved within striking distance of the Philippines, FDR called MacArthur back into service, naming him commander of all U.S. forces in the Far East. Douglas referred to it as his destiny. About the 3 o'clock in the morning, and I can remember John getting up, the car came and got him. When Pearl Harbor was attacked, MacArthur ordered reconnaissance flights launched from Clark Field in the Philippines. After more than three hours in the air, the American planes have made no contact with the Japanese. The Japanese had faked us out. They made us bring everything up. When everything went back down, that's when they came in. Nearly all the B-17 bombers were caught on the ground, along with the P-40 fighters. Following the attacks, Washington looked for scapegoats. Commander of the Pacific Fleet, Husband Kimmel, was fired and replaced by Admiral Chester Nimitz. Why is MacArthur fired for the same thing happening in the Philippines? It would have been too expensive politically to fire. If Roosevelt could have done it, he'd have done it. MacArthur makes an assessment that the Philippines ultimately cannot be held. Everybody knew the Philippines could not be held. I can remember sitting with the general general. It was spooky life, and he told me, that he realized that he couldn't hold Manila any longer. We went to Credidor on Christmas Eve, and I remember pulled it off, and he was so confused, you know, and he said, Mommy, I, I think I've seen enough of Corregidor. The noose was tightening, but MacArthur rallied his troops. 15th of January is when this message came out. It starts out, uh, you men are to hold out 
because thousands of men and hundreds of airplanes are on the way. I said, you know, I would hate to be responsible for the men's lives. Well, he said, Gene, you, you do everything you can as possible to make it work. By March of 42, the Japanese juggernaut overwhelmed the exhausted, underarmed, and underfed American and Filipino troops. Supplies are reaching the zero point. 26,000 were on Corregidor, and another 78,000 on the Bataan Peninsula. Well, been ordered out by Rosecamp. And a very reluctant MacArthur was ordered to the safety of Australia. MacArthur wanted to die in the tunnel at Corregidor with a gun in his hand and his face to the enemy. We went down and got on the PT boat. I just remembered his face. And when he looked back to Catan and Craigador, he was just heartbroken. President Manuel Quezon also left, but before he did, he settled his debts with MacArthur. And there's a payment made just before the Philippines collapse that causes great controversy. Yes, but you see, MacArthur really had what amounted to a 10-year contract. And the president says, in effect, look, it is not your fault. And he paid MacArthur for the whole 10 years. $500,000. It'd be like $5 million now. And when the general realized he had to go, he sent for Skinny Wainwright. And he and the general had a conference. What they decided was that General Wainwright would be in charge of the Philippines. MacArthur assured him he'd come back as soon as I can with as much as I can. MacArthur has come. Before him is a vast job of reconquest. It's definitely a downbeat MacArthur who felt like he'd been betrayed by Washington. He's put up for the Medal of Honor for the defense of Bataan and Corregidor. There's resentment over that. As Eisenhower said, the Medal of Honor should not be given to somebody for staying in a tunnel. Bataan finally fell on April 9th, and Wainwright surrendered Corregidor on May 6th. General Wainwright suffers grievously for four years as a prisoner of war. When he's released, there's a very emotional embrace between he and MacArthur, and yet MacArthur objected to Wainwright getting the Medal of Honor. He did, because Wainwright had not really handled the defense of Bataan very well, the way MacArthur would have done it. If he died, then he should have got the Medal of Honor. There would be more than two and a half years of brutal fighting in the Pacific. Frank Sackton was part of the 33rd Infantry Regiment. The island hopping was... Uh, clearly part of his genius because the strategy was superb. He would get behind the enemy and then let the enemy die on the mine. Finally, in October of 44, during the Battle of Leyte, MacArthur made a triumphant return, and his enemies used the occasion to spread a vicious rumor. Widely believed that MacArthur did several takes of walking ashore. True or false? Absolutely false. He went to show once. You're watching War Stories on the Fox News Channel. Stay tuned. The final blows that brought Japan to her knees were delivered over three days in August 1945. How does MacArthur end up with the detail of what happens on the deck of the Missouri? The Navy felt, indeed, that we've done most of the fighting out here, and Nimitz should take the surrender. The Navy and the Marines always claim that the Army brings rank. And so MacArthur had the rank to do it. Was there any discussion in Washington over the propriety of that? I think there may have been a little gnashing of teeth in the White House. Truman did not like showy Army officers. I now invite the representatives 
of the Emperor of Japan to sign the instrument of surrender. On September 2nd, the nine-member Japanese delegation watched in stony silence as two newly freed prisoners of war stepped forward. Will General Wainwright and General Percival step forward and accompany me while I sign? MacArthur gave the men signing pens. It was an emotional moment for the now five-star general. He was 66 years old then, and I was 33. And I thought if the old man could do it, I could do it. Instead of going home to Chicago after three and a half years overseas, Frank Sackton went to work for the Supreme Commander. Uh, he had no in-basket or out-basket. Uh, substantially, I was the in-basket and out-basket. The first assignment for the 240,000 occupation troops disarmed the enemy. And they blew up more than 1.5 million tons of ammunition. I think we accomplished that pretty well the first 60 days. He would get the staff together and would tell us we're going to be very kind to the people, and uh, that's the orders from here. But there were also war criminals to prosecute. Tojo with his shining bald head. And despite thousands of documented atrocities, only 28 Japanese Class A war criminals stood trial. And he allows the emperor to remain. Again, you cannot run a prison without the cooperation of the prisoners. You cannot run an occupied country without the cooperation of the people who live there. We had to research a lot about uh, the emperor, his likes, his dislikes. Found that uh, the emperor liked to smoke cigarettes. MacArthur offered uh, the emperor a cigarette, and the emperor took it, and he said, General, I want you to know that I, the emperor, am responsible for everything that occurred in the war. MacArthur was, was worshipped by the Japanese people. Another West Point graduate, Alexander Haig, remembered bringing Prime Minister Yoshida to the general. He'd come out of MacArthur's office bowing deeply with tears in his eyes because he just couldn't comprehend a political system that was anything comparable to the democratic way. When you have to take a country from feudalism to emperor worship to democracy, you've got some real challenges. If he didn't like you, you were out. George Herman was a correspondent for CBS News covering the Far East. We let it be known very early on when he first arrived in the occupation that all of these were his ideas, all of these things that came from the State Department. I am the boss, not America, not uh, Harry Truman, God forbid. Korea becoming the scene of a new communist crime against humanity. I said this message should be given directly to John MacArthur. Then a 27-year-old warrant officer, Robert Rickstatter, was a long way from Kansas when he became MacArthur's chief administrative officer. The next thing I knew, General Church was on his way to Korea. And that's when we started to move forces into Korea. How many troops were in Japan that were available to go immediately to Korea? Well, we had four divisions. We had the 24th, the 25th, 1st Cavalry Division, and we had the Airborne Division. All under strength, all poorly trained. Without support from Washington, MacArthur conceived a daring plan to land Marines at Incheon. President Truman in August. Uh, dispatched the JCS to tell MacArthur that he could not execute the Incheon invasion. And I sat outside the door with a crack just a slight bit, and the first response came from Lawton Collins 
saying it was a cockamamie plan. In front of MacArthur? To MacArthur, yes. And he stood up. He said, gentlemen, I will be landing at Inchon on the 15th of September, or you will have a new commander. Put his pipe in the ashtray, walked out of the room, and they all collapsed. The successful landing of 70,000 troops vindicated MacArthur as a military genius. But at the Wake Island Conference, relations with President Truman deteriorated. Before the meeting took place, General MacArthur had the engineers at Wake Island construct the walls so that on one side you could hear, the other side you couldn't. Truman's staff couldn't hear a thing. He always was excessively complacent that the Chinese were not going to enter the war. MacArthur was wrong. By late November 1950, 300,000 communist Chinese troops were in North Korea and UN forces were in retreat. MacArthur blamed faulty intelligence. The president blamed him. And on April 10, 1951, MacArthur was the last to find out he'd been fired. Mrs. MacArthur called me and she said, Lieutenant, are you listening to the news? And I said, yes, ma'am. She said, well, you must have a message on your desk. I said, no, ma'am, I do not. About the 14th machine, a message in the clear. And then I went into his office, and he said, Rick Stadler, what did the message say? And I said, General, as best I recall, that you are immediately relieved. Ridgeway is your successor. You're relieved of your four commands. He put his hand on my shoulder, and he said, Son, you will learn to accept changes like this. He may have been fired, but America still loved MacArthur. Coming up, the retired life of an old soldier. Some of it will surprise you. Less than 24 hours after being fired, Douglas and Gene MacArthur returned to the States. 84,000 letters and telegrams poured into the White House. In coast-to-coast parades, he received a hero's welcome. He came, he saw, he conquered. MacArthur gave a much-anticipated address to Congress, and he ended it with a surprise. Old soldiers never die. They just fade away. A lot of people were looking to him to come back and not only denounce the Truman administration's ideas of what to do, but to give his own ideas of what should be done. The MacArthur's settled in New York City. Home was one of the city's most opulent hotels, the Waldorf Towers. War Stories was given a private tour of their apartment by concierge David Ibarra. The largest parlor in the Waldorf. And of course it was suitable for the general because he would love to pace. And as you can see, he had a lot of space to pace. At 71, he became chairman of the board of Remington Rand Corporation. Charles Stever was MacArthur's driver for 11 years. He very seldom went out. He did like to go to West Point, and he always liked the Army football game. And once in a great while, he would go to the Winter Garden Theater. May 1962, his health slowly failing, MacArthur made his final visit to West Point and perhaps his most famous speech. The power and the color and the color. I bid you farewell. 
saw with all these cadets in there, you could hear a pin drop. And he had a lot of tears in her eyes, including myself. MacArthur never wavered in his conviction that the real soldiers were the fighting men. Up to the very end, the president still sought his advice. Johnson comes to visit uh, MacArthur at Walter Reed Hospital in the final days, and MacArthur tells Johnson, don't get involved in a land war in Asia. You'll just get gobbled up. Here's this great staunch general, almost every medal you can get in the world, and here he's just shrinking away and dying. With Gene and his son Arthur at his bedside, the 84-year-old warrior died on April 5th, 1964. He went to the 66th Street Park Avenue Armory. That's where the body laid. And then the body was moved to the rotunda down in Washington. Gene would remain in the public eye, active in various charities. And in 1988, President Ronald Reagan awarded her the Presidential Medal of Freedom. And the devotion of her only child, Arthur, never faltered. He would have dinner with her every single day until she passed on at 101. Having outlived her husband by almost 36 years, Jean MacArthur is buried in Norfolk, Virginia, next to the man she lovingly called Sir Boss. More on the life and times of General Douglas MacArthur when War Stories continues. If peace is a time when one waits for war, and war is a time when one waits for peace, that is certainly the way it was in the 52-year-long military career of Douglas MacArthur. He was a warrior's warrior, and though he'd been accused of being a warmonger, he said nothing could be further from the truth. He said, I know war as few other living men now know it, and nothing to me is more revolting. But once war is forced on us, there's no other alternative than to apply every available means to bring it to a swift end. In war indeed, there can be no substitute for victory. From the U.S. Military Academy at West Point, his is a war story that deserves to be told. I'm Oliver North. Good night. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.